0: Attention all drawing nerds, this is Dave McGuire and I'm interrupting your podcast for a very important announcement. I am giving you a call to action. As you know, the Nerd Cave has been overrun by a spirit that we've come to know as Alan. He inhabits our bodies to speak and he shows no signs of leaving. And in order to cope with this new presence, we need your help. That's right, pick up your pens, pick up your computers, and give us a drawing of what you think Alan looks like. And it is imperative that you send it to thenerds at nerdonomy.com so that way we may understand our visitors some more. The best interpretation that we receive will become our new t-shirt design.
1: Submissions end December 24th at midnight. Good luck and thank you. Okay, Brian, this time I got it right. I, I swear, I, I did, did my better. research and I found a real Christmas decoration I for the cake. I swear to God, if you get messed this up, I will be very cross with you. It's, it's going to be fine. Just go in the door, go inside. It's actually hanging right above the door, so I think it'll be fine. <sighs> fine. You're going to like it.
2: Fine. Fine.
1: What is that? It's Melissa's toe. Melissa's toe? Melissa's toe. You have any idea how hard it was for me to find this? I had to put out an advertisement in Craigslist to find somebody who would let me amputate their toe. Not just anybody, it had to actually be someone specifically named Melissa.
2: Oh my god, Eric, it's mistletoe, not Melissa's toe, mistletoe! Well, how the hell am I supposed to find munitions?
1: Welcome to Nerds on History,
2: I am Eric Brickmon and I am Brian Moriarty. Well, sir... I'm not going to ask how you are, because I know how you are. We are both tired. (laughs) Exhausted is a better way of putting it. Yeah, Thanksgiving weekend has been uh, exhausting. Yes, it has. But, uh, you know,
1: it's okay. It's okay to be tired if you had a good time, and you were with friends, and you were with family, and thousands and thousands and thousands of
2: strangers who were shopping with you. Sure, and I'm sure you guys are wondering, well, wait a second, didn't we just do that? Not really, because we record our episodes a week before they get released. So by the time you're hearing this, we are coming back from the tail end of a very long uh, weekend. So that is true. That is true. However, through the magic of radio, this is actually
1: our second episode in December on our amazing holiday month, a whole month of fantastic nerdtastic holiday episodes for you.
2: Yes. And we've already gotten some great feedback about our first episode, The Christmas Pickle. That's so, right. Um, yes. In fact, well, y-
1: should we just jump into listener feedback right away? Let's go ahead and jump in.
2: This week in listener feedback.
1: Oh, that that pickle, that Christmas pickle. What a response that we got from that! So very yeah. much a an American tradition, just not one in this part of the country. Apparently, it it seems very common in the American South. And um, let's see, you you got one on the uh, Christmas pickle from Stephen. If I'm not mistaken, right? One of our longtime listeners, Stephen, what does he have to say?
2: Yeah, Stephen uh, wrote All Lads. That's a great episode. I love the wheel, and it was great to see that back in the show. I remember one year my grandmother decided that we needed more traditional decorations, so we made food-colored popcorn tinsel, quote-unquote, to decorate the tree. It actually looked pretty good until my grandfather uh, left Jim Jim the Labrador Retriever alone in the house. (laughs) He enjoyed the popcorn, destroyed the tree, and spent several days in doggy exile on the balcony. (laughs) (laughs) The moral of the story is, actually, there isn't one. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Thanks for the mention. You didn't really have to, but it's nice. And I look forward to Mystery Month. Well, yes, indeed. We talked about Mystery March last episode, and I think we're going to do it. I think we've got some pretty solid buy-in on that one, so yes. we'll be able to do that. Do keep in
1: mind, my third child will be arriving around that time, so if I'm slightly incoherent on
2: those episodes, it's because I will not have actually slept. Well, the name of your child will be a mystery, right?
1: Well, in a way, yes. Yeah, it yes. Was. Spelling is slightly different,
2: but... Yeah, uh, it is. So well, we'll,
1: An Emilia instead of an Amelia, but... Uh, yeah. And you just ruined the mystery. <laughs> Well, I've said ever. the name on the show before. I, you, you our know, listeners I, you, you already You stop
2: being logical. You stop being logical right now. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, well, the Christmas Pickle
1: continues in our listener feedback. Uh, Lauren, again, another longtime listener, uh, says, listening to and thoroughly enjoying your latest episode, and I want you to address the Christmas Pickle. I am fairly certain in the U.S. it's uniquely southern tradition, because as a southerner myself from a small town in South Carolina, I am very familiar with the Christmas pickle, but friends and family from other parts of the country are always surprised by the idea. Although I am unsure about the actual origins, I can tell you that every truly southern Christmas tree has a Christmas pickle on it, and is indeed hidden, a symbol of good luck to find. Oftentimes, this comes during Christmas parties, particularly ornament exchange parties. One of the gifts is a pickle. Although it's almost more of a side note during the holidays, I can guarantee if you walk into a store selling Christmas ornaments at all in the American South, uh, the the display of the pickle ornament will be one of the most prominent. Wonderful episode. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Wonderful episode. I look forward to both
2: history and film podcasts every week. Well, thank you, Lauren. Absolutely. And we have a final piece from Alex. Alex. Uh, Alex wrote us uh, another comment about our Romani episode, about a bit more socially responsible.
1: I have to say the most feedback we've ever gotten on a single episode, which yeah. I'm not terribly surprised at, but I'm just, I'm very pleased at the amount of
2: listeners who, who have written in uh, in regards to it. Absolutely. She writes, hi, Brian and Eric. I've just finished listening to your podcast on the Romani people and found it informative, but sad. So I thought I would add a small, positive personal detail. My paternal family are from Hungary, a country with a large Roma population. My grandmother has told me that in the village where she lived, which was uh, not more than 10 miles from the Romanian border, also lived a Roma community. The rest of the village would often hire the Roma to play music for special occasions, such as weddings and the like. My grandmother has always enjoyed singing and dancing. I suspect that it was her past experiences with Romas that have influenced this passion. It was nice to hear of this pleasant and harmonious interaction between some of the Hungarian villagers and the Roma community. Keep up the wonderful work, Alex.
1: Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, we really appreciate you writing in, and uh, that, was, that was great. That was yeah. excellent. I really like to hear that. Well, yeah. folks, well, we have one more piece of feedback,
0: though, as we it do. turns out. We do. And this one, It's f- from
2: one of our loyal listeners, Brett. Yes,
0: and he says, "Hey guys, just want to say I really, really like the podcast. It's fun. I'm glad you guys make this thing."
2: Okay, Brett, how the hell did you get into our studio? Oh my god, do you have a Tardis Surprise!
1: too? He's got a Tardis too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my god, I thought we were the only Time Lords in in the area. Well, in fairness, I'm a yeah, time yeah, man, I mean in the United uh, States,
1: I'm, I'm a Time Lord. You're you're the companion, but <laughs> I'm the. Co- <laughs> Eric.
2: <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Brett, hey, welcome to the show. Uh this is a huge deal Yay. for for us because we've never had a fan on the show before. Yeah. We've this had is. we've had fans who have been guests, but they were also our friends. Right. And by that I mean we knew them before we did the podcast. <laughs> um, Brett right, has become our right. friend through doing the podcast, and we can't think of a better person to be our first guest. So Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, I am very honored to be your guys' first fan, not friend podcast. There you go. Yeah, that you know personally. There yeah, you go. We'll leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, that's the most qualified answer to our guest <laughs> ever, and I apologize
2: for that. Um, well, before we launch too much into it, that's why don't right. you tell our listeners more about you than that we've been able to read through feedback? What
0: do you love about history? What what draws you in about it? Just the mystery of it. It's, you know, there's no definite answer about I mean, yeah, there's speculation, but do we really know what certain languages are, what certain words are, based on something that we don't really, we weren't there to witness, or how, like, for example, the pyramids were built, or the Parthenons were built, or stuff like that, and the further you go back, the further it's just like, like I said, a giant mystery, and it's just as you guys say all the time, it's just fascinating.
2: The untold story, trying to find the untold story. Exactly.
0: That's great. Well, you know, that's
1: exactly. I think that's, what's gotten a lot of people interested in history is, is the unknown and wanting to discover more about it. And there are many, many different ways to do that. Uh, One of them, podcasting is something that we have chosen to, to take on. And it's, uh, it's why we are here every single week trying to bring you listeners uh, some great new information, and learning a lot in the process ourselves, and uh, allowing for great opportunities like this for for our listeners
2: to come on and, uh, and share some information with their other listeners, their peers. Right. The only reason why we, we we do this, right, is because I think mm-hmm. history deserves to be taught through conversation. If it's done in like a lecture format, it's kind of drab. You yeah, know? it's boring. It's boring. It doesn't really oh, come yeah, alive. That's
0: that's for sure. I, I agree on the lecturing format. If it's they're just telling it to you. Like, you guys, I mean, yeah, you, that's what you guys do, but it's fun, and you guys have fun with it, and you, like you said, you guys bring in your listeners, um, you know, with listener feedback, and have conversations with them about it. You just don't tell them, and then leave it at that.
1: Well said, sir. Well said. Well, this is a month of, uh, of good tides, and, and friendship, and camaraderie, and people coming together, and we thought... In theme obviously with our our whole month of of holiday theme that we would uh, we would emulate that today we would tell you a little bit more about Yule yeah about the the origin really of many of our Christmas traditions and some things that are quite surprising really that they have stuck around and become such an integral and important part of these uh,
2: this very important time of year yeah because to me you know, when we talk about all the things we celebrate at Christmas time, yes, Christmas is now a Christian holiday that's taken on a somewhat of, more of a secular form. But that all being said, I think all of the traditions go back to Yule, minus the actual birth of Jesus, because that's pretty hard to, <laughs> to disconnect from anything but Christianity. So, right. um, where does it really start? Where does the relationship start with having all these traditions? And for me, I think it starts with light. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: and, and not just light, any kind of light, but light in darkness the light at the end of the tunnel if you will what gets you through that that darkness and brings you out into uh into something good and positive and great something that is life-giving uh this symbol that we find not just in you know ancient you know pagan traditions throughout europe but around the world consistently that that image of the sun and any kind of light giving
2: life-giving force It's extremely important. If you think about it, every ancient culture, they developed their spirituality by connecting with the elements, right? And to them, the elements were just was just nature. Was the fact that there was a sun, there was a moon, there was water, there was air, there was earth, all these different things. So when you see, especially in certain parts of the world, you know, you talk about the winter solstice when you don't have as much sun. Now, you're kind of freaked out because sun is the essence of life. You know, if you're talking about cultures from the ancient world that are agricultural in nature, um, you you can't hunt at night (laughs)
0: very easily either. So no matter what you do, it all encompasses daylight. And then the fact that a lot of the monsters and creatures of myth, a lot of them, you know, those are the things that come out at night. And you know, stay hidden during the day, and you know that's why. Hey, we like the light. We yeah. hate winter solstice because it's the longest day of the year. Exactly, and it's
2: so, uh, so it comes to, it's actually an innate fear of the dark is what it really, really what it comes down to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, the dark is frightening. If we, and if it we, makes sense.
1: It, it does make sense if you go back far enough. Right, we talk about hunter gatherer societies. We talk about folks who lived in relatively little shelter and protection in groups for safety reasons more than anything they they lived in these groups to protect themselves fire which was so important for warding away any of those wild animals that could come in and, and cause problems became this life-giving force and it mm-hmm. wasn't just there to feed you to, to cook meat on that was a revelation that occurred absolutely and there are so many benefits to that right but more importantly it was the fact that it was Scaring off all these terrible threats and 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 problems that could befall you and your small community so from the very dawn of time the idea of of light uh, in the form of fire in this particular case and eventually evolved into very much so the Sun
2: uh, and its life-giving force so yeah. important to to all of humanity think how different the world would be if human beings had been Evolved into being nocturnal by nature like their eyes working better at night than working in day, right? That one el- evolutionary Shift is what is really to explain for all of this and this is doubly so for cultures where if you're higher up from the equator And you get to the winter solstice. It's like barely you don't even get daylight. You just get less night <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> you know you get you get a slightly brighter <laughs> night sky <laughs>
1: you, you get a, a blue hue in the sky not unlike you right. know like uh, sunset, or very much after the sun's actually gone down, and that that's it that's your light for the day, perhaps even weeks at time, depending on how far up you know north you are, particularly in Norway, where you know you have settlements and people who are living just about as close to the Arctic Circle as possible that would have been terrifying. This is, you think about Norse mythology, and you think about all the stories they're told, and you think about, like, the, the Drager and, and other undead creatures and what have you all being, again, like, like Brett was saying, nocturnal and coming out at night. This is terrifying
2: imagery from from people who are literally just frightened out of their wits. Yeah, totally. And speaking of Norse mythology, of course, they had a god for light, Balder, right? Baldr was the, I, yeah. I believe he was God of Light and Truth, if I'm not mistaken. He also had a lovely gate. I guess he did, did have a
1: gate. <laughs> <laughs> was, was he, was he the gardener
2: of the gates of Valhalla, or is that just a joke? No, that was a joke about Baldur's Gate. Right, video it's game. a Gideon, yeah, yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. say. Yeah. 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 There, I this got is it. nerds on history. It. Exactly. Yeah. Brett got it. <laughs> see, if it was a movie thing or a theater thing, I would have totally gotten it. But uh, Brett and I are on the same page. I see, here. I'm not much of a gamer, and <laughs> please don't kill me. <laughs> I'm outnumbered by gamers in this room right now. So. Uh, but yes Baldur
1: absolutely who was who was that Norse god of light and and one of many because it, it it is interesting and it 's worth noting really quick that by the time the Vikings came around, we had more recorded accounts of the actual traditions and customs of people in Scandinavia. However, before that, we have very very little
2: it's true, hardly anything and we have kind of a mishmash going on because there's a lot of parallels between Germanic culture which we're really talking about when we're getting into the Norse and Vikings and things like that, but also Celtic culture because we have to remember that the Celtic culture that survives today is Irish, but it was not the only Celtic culture. No. The Irish were just Western Celts. The Eastern Celts, the Gaul, right? The Gaul... Not even really an empire, but I mean, the the Gaul almost had all of Europe. Gaul territory, yeah. The Gaul territory had before the Romans did. Yeah. So it's not that far of a stretch when you look at Gaul and you look at the, the territories and you realize, oh wait, this is France and some of Germany. Uh, sure. That there was a cultural influence probably on these traditions that moved their way north.
1: Well, from actual burial mounds and ruins and other imagery that exists from the time 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th centuries where you find a lot of these images of solar deities, of the mm-hmm. sun in particular. And the kind of now neo-pagan image of the of the wheel uh, is emulating that of the sun and the passage of the year. Uh, this obviously has its roots in much earlier times, however, and kind of how that was assimilated into now neo-pagan traditions the original passage of that was was taking these solar mm-hmm. elements and instead of embodying them into a single god taking all of their elements and embodying them into other Norse gods sure and that leads to a lot of our myths and stories that are told of these deities in and around the time of yule which was a time of of conquering over that darkness and that evil and that bringing forth the light and the celebration of it. And that's really what it was. It was a celebration of hey, we're not going to freeze to death. This is great.
2: <laughs> we were all in this together, right. Right? right? And yeah, and that's really that in and of itself that is the heart, the origin of of Yule. What I like to go into is the traditions that developed over the centuries from this celebration of Yule and how they eventually got transitioned into christmas well before we talk
1: about that we've talked about the midwinter tradition right Mm -hmm. let's also put a little bit more context within the dates as well because later yule traditions would be narrowed down a little bit more specifically and essentially the winter solstice which takes place either on the 22nd or the 23rd you know depending on various factors it was more or less the beginning of the of the more traditional feast time for yule Okay? Sure. And, this, and this overlaps perfectly with our modern Christmas today, uh, but this was a long, long process. Yule started earlier. Yule started, some people suggest for some communities, as early as late November um, and well into January. January 12th has sure. been suggested as a very important date for you know, what is was kind of known as the, uh, the Yule Bolt, which was a Yule Sacrifice. And, uh, you know, you'd have kind of a sacrifice of an animal that would kick off the whole start of the season. You have one right in the middle, you have one towards the end. And these were all feasts that would be had uh, in celebration of that creature and their, their uh, association with the various rites and rituals and myths that were associated with this time of Yule. So, there's the context for the actual time in which it took place. Yeah. Now, the actual celebrations and traditions, We don't really know a lot about them originally. It's mostly guesswork, but it's good guesswork based on later accounts of those traditions as they kind of evolved and changed. And what's neat is like you're saying, Brian, we
2: can track that and then we can see what that's evolved into. Absolutely. And to talk about another piece of cross-cultural parallel development, the Romans also had a sun feast. Right, that took place near what they thought was their winter solstice.
1: Right. Around several solar deities, but at the most prominent of them was uh, Mithras. Mithras,
2: yes, but also Saturn, right? Saturnalia yes. was the overall festival. And then the birth of Mithra yeah. was, as famously denoted, December 25th.
1: Uh, before we move on to some of the more specific aspects of Yule, was there anything in a more general sense that you wanted to kind of cover?
0: Um, Yeah. Uh, I read that scholars, they've connected it to um, the Wild Hunt. So the Wild Hunt is basically like i said the fundamental premise of it is ghosts rising and hunting basically uh the hunters can also be dead or fairies from folklore that are strictly connected to the dead making their way around finding other lost souls having them join the hunt it wasn't gender specific it could be males females and a lot of um historical or legendary figures were also involved in it that have gone on and passed they would come back join the hunt it'd be done they would go back to resting i I thought that was pretty cool with the whole i mean just thinking about ghosts coming up and hunting in the middle of the night was kind of freaky but cool at the same time so
1: not not something you normally associate with the with the yuletide (laughs) and christmas season of today yeah. yeah Well, Brett, you know, you, you actually make a really good point by this, because the symbolism behind this hunt is is very significant. Um, if you think about Norse mythology and you think about the passage of the sun, and it's, essentially, it's a death. Uh, it's being stalked and it's being hunted by a wolf. Uh, a wolf in, in Norse mythology was extremely important. Yeah, uh, It wasn't necessarily evil, but it was definitely something that um, was feared and respected. And so, this kind of hunting of the, of the sun, if you will, is also kind of reflected in this tradition, where here are these great warriors, here are these souls of the dead, who have now risen these Asgard riders, if you will, uh, from later- Asgardian. Mithal- Asgardian, yes, Asgardian riders. <laughs> um, Sorry, we don't want any of the Asgard's on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and rising up and, and vanquishing and conquering over this evil, and this is a theme that is repeated- all throughout the Yule season with a wide variety of different myths of this kind of conquering over darkness and conquering over evil. And we'll talk about it as we dive into a few more specific examples of kind of um, these Yule time traditions. So definitely, yeah, the, the idea of the great hunt, I will state something really quick though, which I thought was interesting while I was researching this topic as well. I found uh, an interesting connection with elves. Really? Yeah. Yes. Now you think of Santa's elves They have absolutely nothing to do with this. (laughs) It is purely (laughs) coincidental that elves got tied back into the mythology around Santa years, years, years later. We talked a little bit about this on our Satan Nick episode as well. But even before that, the presence of elves in Nordic mythology are these kind of, um, again, gnome-like... Creatures who, who dwell in the underworld, who come forth from the underworld, and they don't necessarily have to be good or bad, they just kind of take a um, neutral stance on the world, if you will. Uh, but to appease them, there was the, the act of the elf sacrifice, now, this was not finding an elf and actually sacrificing an elf. This was simply the <laughs> the, the sacrificial meals that would have been had, uh, and again, around all this time. But one of them was dedicated to elves. And even though it has nothing to do with what, how Christmas evolved into, I thought it was still worth mentioning.
0: Absolutely. yeah, That's, yeah. A, that's a crazy coincidence.
2: It is. It is. It's very funny. <laughs> I don't think it's that much of a coincidence. I think somehow the elves... And we talked about this, I think, last year, how the elves became to be yeah. associated with uh, St. Nicholas legends. And it probably has to do with just trying to merge legends together like the fact that they right since saint nicholas day is such a big deal in the north part of europe it's a big deal in sweden it's a big deal in norway as well it's 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 possible but my
1: research found that santa claus was actually considered more of an elf before he was actually santa and then that idea of the elf kind of came on after that i couldn't find any actual literary examples that kind of tied these together so it's possible i don't know but to me it seems a little bit more coincidental than it does like there's an actual tie so what else was going on during Yule? We have the Great Hunt, obviously. What kind of myths and rites and rituals were probably influencing different customs and perhaps different celebrations at this time of year?
2: Well, I would say, number one, the, probably the biggest one right away, uh, maybe not the biggest, but one, another common one that we still do to this day, caroling. That's right. Yes, caroling does have its, its origins in... Um, and, Yule. and the idea is, it's actually kind of not unlike trick-or-treating, which is really, really <laughs> weird. It's like, literally, Caroling is kind of the, your Christmas version of trick-or-treating. The goal was, yeah. you know, you would go from house to house, and you would sing a song, and you would either be welcomed in, and uh, if you didn't, they would usually do something pretty nasty to you. So it was kind of this, this very interesting parallel. Yeah, you'd either
1: be cursed, or someone would come back later and vandalize your home exactly or literally break into
2: your house and just eat and drink your food <laughs> like either you give me your food and let me in or i'm going to eat it anyway when you're when you're sleeping right so so both ways you're going to be out of food but my way has your door being broken take a pick <laughs> exactly though what i do find is interesting is uh i see lots of uh, connections mostly just by association between caroling and wassail as well the wassail is i think more english than it is norse am i, am I correct or no
1: well, Wassail has its traditions, and it's the origin of the language, anyway, in, in Old West Norse, and, and clearly moved into, into English when English words were being first formed and created out of all these different dramatic cultures that were invading into, into England. Yes. So, there there's most likely a, a pagan root to that that existed probably in more heartland of, of Europe, and eventually moved over into England. And Wassail just literally means good health. It's, it's a wish of good health onto somebody. It is oftentimes spoken of during that uh, Yule time drinking, right? So the Yule time festivals were really great. They were full of music and and dance and food and, in particular, drinking. Yeah, lots so, and
2: lots and lots of drinking. <laughs> because that was the only thing you really could do. Is like, well, it's dark outside. We can't grow anything. It's really cold let's just drink. (laughs) It'll make me feel better. It'll warm me up on the inside. And I won't remember half of what's going to go on the rest of this evening. So there you go. I don't see any minuses at this point.
1: Well, you know, in the absence of eggnog. (laughs) This is what they would say, of course. (laughs) This this really was their only choice. (laughs) Are you channeling history
2: now? (laughs) I was channeling history. Usually I channel history.
1: Now you're channeling history.
2: Um, But here's why I bring it up. Because think about it. If you're caroling, and you did a good job. You'd be welcomed in. And more than likely, they would have wassail ready to drink. So you would yeah. share that. And I think that's where the term wassailing came from. Yes, of course, wassail means good health. But if you were caroling and you were end up imbibing at the same time, you put the two together and you make it into a gerund. Right. So there you go. Exactly. Which goes to the song, Here We Come a Wassailing you know, among the leaves so green. I'm not going to do the rest of the lyrics. So. Oh, come
1: on. <laughs> no, you t- know you want to break
2: <laughs> out in the song. I, you, Eric, right. you know me long enough at this point that I wish I could most of my th- most of my day, but I'm not going to. I'm going to show restraint. Sir, I, th- that's admirable. So mm-hmm. tell us, Brett, can, can anyone get a good wassail in your neck of the woods? What exactly is wassail? Like, what's in it? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a modern recipe, then we'll refer to our uh, food historical brethren Alton Brown here. Ah, Alton Brown. He has a lovely recipe for wassail. It involves the following: six Fuji apples. So they would have done just regular baked apples, of course, at this point in time. Right. Brown sugar. So probably, I'm guessing molasses if they had it. at the Time. Water or maple. Right. Uh, Seventy two ounces of ale. Check. Check, <laughs> folks. That is six beers. <laughs> just so you know. Just, just for make sure. Uh, 750 milliliters of Madeira, which is a fortified wine from Portugal. Also check. 10 whole cloves, 10 whole allspice berries, one cinnamon stick, two inches long, the real cinnamon, not the (laughs) cassia that we eat in this country, one (laughs) teaspoon of ground ginger, one teaspoon of ground nutmeg, and six large eggs that have been separated. You essentially make this emulsifying thick drink of spicy warm deliciousness that is heavily alcoholic and the traditional way of drinking it is actually in this giant bowl where just the the apples just kind of bob in there and uh and everyone you, just, just, you just dip your head in and just everyone <laughs> just like, picks up the yule bowl two hands like you're eating a giant bowl of cereal and just kind of tip it back and everyone just passes it around tipping it back Sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> it does sound pretty awesome. I think awesome. I'm kind of make some for a Christmas party this year. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds good.
1: It's ironic
2: that it means good health.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. But it makes right. sense, too, because if you're freezing cold, and you're going door to door, and you actually do get let into somebody's home, and then you get so drunk that you pass out on their floor, chances are they're not going to move you. They're just going to leave you there. And therefore, you didn't freeze to death during the cold night before, and thus you have good health. Your liver on the other hand, is a whole other story. And you might have quite a powerful headache the next day. <laughs>
2: yeah, but you but know, unless you're alive. Right. Exactly. No, Clearly this is a more modernized recipe. They wouldn't have had Madeira at that point in time. They probably would have just done ale, or, but it was probably pretty potent nonetheless. So, yeah, that's kind of where that tradition goes from. But I also see this, there are other traditions that Again, go across the world around this time of year anyway. Mold wine. In uh, Northern Europe, glug or glufine, as we talked about last year, glug. is uh, kind of a, a spiced, more red wine-based beverage. But same principle. You put spices in it because they are going to last the season. So you t- it just happens to be that they're of the more warming variety, right? And you put them together, and you heat up the drink, and it makes you feel toasty, right? I wonder if
1: they named glug after the sound it makes as you as it goes down your throat. <laughs> I wonder if that's the only drink in the world that's named after the sound it the makes first as you say. On Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
1: I wanna know I want to know the origin of that word. We'll have to talk about that next time I think. We'll have that ready to go maybe for a future episode. Yeah I indeed. So. Well I don't great. know about you gentlemen, but but when I think about caroling, I think about goats. Am I alone on that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're alone on that one. Brett, uh, back me up here, Brett. Come on. I can't say that I think of goats. Ah, all right. L- l- let me explain why then. Um, Please. One of the more odd traditions, I think, that has stemmed from from Yule is the Yule goat. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that is very much tied into Scandinavia, and you don't really find it just about anywhere else. But it's, it's very interesting because if you look at the animal in the ancient Nordic world that was connected to a particular um, a deity by the name of Thor, we might all be familiar with Thor. Yeah, Thor, he's is. a Marvel Comics character, right?
2: <laughs> Get out. Yeah,
0: totally. He, he's an Avenger. Right,
2: To be fair, Thor was dragged <laughs> heavily off the Norse myth, and still he draws from the Norse myth. That is actually true. Of of all <laughs> the all of the
1: comic books out there, this is probably the one that is steeped the most in historical accuracy in the terms of a myth. And so, exactly, yes, there is no actual Thor. Right. Thank you. However, the uh, the ancient Nordic people very much believed in this god. And when I think of Thor, I really can't help but think of Christmas, and not just because the the time in which his kind of sacrificial sacrificial festival it makes sense was being held. Because to me
2: cheer and joy and thunder go hand in hand <laughs> giant hammers <apparently. laughs> giant hammers, exactly. Right. <laughs> but no if you if you think about it thor rode across
1: the sky on a chariot that was pulled by goats not which had on antlers which right? had antlers right <laughs> rams right so right. like santa claus okay i, I there's right. an obvious connection to that uh perhaps unlike mm. santa claus but maybe a little bit more like jesus you have his ability to resurrect you know, people and things from the dead. Uh, there's a myth in which he actually kills his beloved goats, uh, and then a day later uses his his hammer and his powers and actually resurrects them from the dead. So sure. very powerful imagery right in of itself. And if you have right. somebody who can resurrect, you know, goats from the dead, he's got to be a pretty cool guy who can do a lot more than that.
2: Incidentally, I believe right. that also ties into the myth behind the death of Balder, right? Balder was killed by Loki, um, actually, it wasn't killed by Loki. Loki manipulated a god who was blind into throwing a, uh, a stake of mistletoe at Balder. And it just so happened to impale him through the heart, thus killing him. But of course, in Norse mythology, gods can die, but they're not really dead. They still believe in this kind of immortal spirit. There's this great goddess that essentially helps them to kind of all be reborn and come back into existence. Right. right.
1: Which ties in everything that we're talking about in the yes. whole idea of that darkness and then the light coming forth and, and delivering us into longer and, and more light-filled days. So right. that's kind of my point is that Thor is the perfect person for this. And somewhere along the tradition in this part of the world people saw that image of the goat and decided to dress up as the goat while they were going around and doing their their wassailing and so even to this day children in in norway and other parts of scandinavia they go ahead and dress up as goats and go around door
0: to door is, on this, me or is this
2: the premise for like a horror movie <laughs> because it really does
0: sound like one. you know what now that you mention that when i was doing my research i seen pictures of that and it was really cr- terrifying coming this i'm not December.
1: particularly the goat with the with the santa beard and the christmas hat that i found was 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 a little bit unnerving no offense to any of our norwegian listeners who we do have listeners in northern europe as well we do we do we we are just you know, it's a tradition, not unlike how the Christmas pickle kind of threw us for a spin. The, the Yule, uh, goats the is Yule Goat is definitely
2: on the top five. Yeah, for it, sure. it, it
1: also kind of threw us for a spin this year. Very cool, though. Very cool. And, you know, I told you in the previous episode that I was going to do a Christmas cactus. Did you actually find one? Uh, I, I've got a couple of candidates. I'm not sure which one I want to introduce into the house yet. We're still doing interviews. However, <laughs> however I am going to have a, a Yule Goat, I've decided, and I'm going to make one. Because the, the, the symbolism of the Yule goat is now iconicized inside these little kind of straw goat-type figurines um, that are, since much, much later in the myth, associated also with gift-giving as well. Um, so we're going to have a, a Yule goat under the Christmas tree this year. All right. Or
2: next to the Christmas cactus. I haven't quite decided yet. Just it don't it keep, depends on how the interview goes. You know, the Christmas cactus would probably go better on the dinner table. It probably would, would doesn't really need to be near the tree. Just saying. See, I'm going to put it next to my nativity scene. That's also infused with ancient Egyptian gods, and then just everything is confused. My dad, can I say the joke? My dad sent us a year last year. So Eric, if you haven't seen his picture, Eric does a, an Egyptian theme of Christmas in his house, and he's done it already. He's got instead of a Christmas tree in the front, he's got an obelisk that's I- lit up. Sir, I have a twelve foot tall, a
1: twelve foot tall obelisk, obelisk covered in Christmas lights, and plus an ankh wreath. Yes, a seven foot tall ankh, where the the low the looping part of the top is actually a
2: Christmas wreath. Yes, wreath. Excuse me. Nice. And
0: uh, yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing pictures of that. Oh, so, it's back! It's back yeah.
2: with a vengeance. So uh, awesome. Eric thought, you know. He wanted to eventually figure out, well, what would we do for Santa and the reindeer? Well, we thought it would be an Egyptian chariot, right? But my dad thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if you got Mary, Jesus, and Joseph running from the Egyptians, uh, or running from the Romans, and the, it's Romans and chariots, because as we all know, Jesus had to flee to Egypt to survive from being exterminated. And so what could be more an Egyptian Christmas theme than to show the, the, the first, you know, the Holy Family just kind of fleeing for their lives. <laughs> fleeing, running away from my house. <laughs> If folks have ever wondered how Catholic I really am, that joke just pretty much settled it for you. Right. That's great. That's funny though. Yeah. No offense out there, by the way. <laughs> um, so anyway, sorry about that unfortunate tangent. Just had to but I had to throw it out there. It has literally nothing to do with the episode whatsoever. So uh, let's let's bring it back, shall shall we? What no talking about plants, talking about the, uh, the the yule goat and you want to keep it underneath your Christmas tree. Um, how about the Yggdrasil? The what? The, the Odin oak. Oh the Odin oak as which it's was called.
1: kind of key and central in, in a lot of this Norse mythology particularly during the, the time of the Vikings when really it was kind of the the kind key. Like tree of life almost in a way Absolutely it yeah. was it was the center of their universe in in many regards uh, very closely tied in with with Odin the all father so we we find that as time went on and Christianity started moving further and further north and kind of encroaching into these areas. Now we're talking in the late 7th, early 8th century. Exactly. Now yeah. we had a lot of these myths um, kind of looking for some sort of tie-in, some way of bringing them into Christianity. And we have a legend uh, of St. Boniface, who is you know, very well known, famous, of course, for converting over the, the local pagan population. In those areas to, to Christianity. And this legend tells of Boniface coming across uh, an Odin tree, the Odin tree, and essentially taking an axe and, and starting to chop it down, uh, and not appearing to be terribly successful in the endeavor, until by some sort of miracle, uh, a large wind comes and blows the the rest of the tree over, quite to the shock and an amazement of the local people, who at first perhaps are a bit horrified and, and
2: angered by the logically act. because this guy is trying to convert them and he just desecrates their most sacred symbol <laughs> <laughs> but then right. they're
1: like yeah well they're like okay well he hasn't been struck down dead
2: yet so i guess he's cool and and this is a, a really key part of missionaryism um right one of the tactics that the christian church played was to show that their god was mightier than any god that they claimed to worship Right. right so the sheer fact what, that boniface was not stricken dead by the fact that their most sacred image was was destroyed in a way showed the superiority of, of the christian god over over odin and over any other the norse mythologists are so like oh well maybe we should listen to what he has to say you and, know? and let's right. let's just be
1: true here that you know the church does not actually suggests that this this legend is perhaps true. Yes. Um, it, instead, it is very much exactly what it sounds like. It, it's a bit of folklore and legend that was used as kind of a bargaining chip, if you will, in, in trying to convert
2: over local. Yeah. Populace. I mean, we see this throughout all of Judeo-Christian history. It goes back to like even the prophet Jeremiah, who, who basically it was basically God versus Baal, who was the god of the Babylonians, and so or one of the gods in the Babylonians. Baal. Thank you. And uh, he's you know, very big on pachy. And, you know, they said that, you know, they both tried to get a contest between Jeremiah to get these calves to get, you know, basically burned alive, thinking God would would strike them from fire from heaven. And Baal didn't do it, but according to this legend, God did. So, that's kind of the the trademark of Christian missionaries. It's like they will always challenge their God to a contest of some kind. You know, it's like us going and like saying, "Oh, well, oh, you believe in this god? Well, you know, what? let's let's try playing a game of basketball one on one, and whoever wins, you know, it's kind of kind of ridiculous by modern standards, but it a tactic that was very effective."
1: indeed uh, in the mm-hmm. middle ages so well folks as you sit around your christmas tree this uh, this christmas opening your presents uh, look up at the tree and remember the horrified faces on pagans thousands of years ago
2: when it was first cut down <laughs> there you go right
1: <laughs> that would be your true sign of christmas cheer
2: <laughs> <laughs> sheer horror so um wow and wh- by the way way to go to without a uh, the legend of the Saint. This has been a weird year for us. I tell out the Egyptian facts and you tell out the, the Catholic facts. That's like. It's like Freaky Friday. It is. It's topsy turvy.
0: <laughs> Which yeah. one to
2: use, Lindsay Lohan? He is. I don't want to be Lohan. Oh. You, want <laughs> no me, way. Do you want me to be Jamie Lee Curtis? I would. I got to say, if I had to be a woman, I would totally be Jamie Lee Curtis. Cool. She is awesome. All right, man. Well, okay. Well, how about the most iconic piece that we associate with Yule, right? The Yule log. Oh, I was going to say Yule ham. But we'll get to that later. Well, I'm glad because I was also going to say Yule Brenner. <laughs> 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 well,
0: I'm glad you didn't. Let's, okay, well, let's talk about the Yule log. Essentially, what the Yule log is is a big, hard log that is burned in a hearth during the Yule, and that goes back to the symbolism of you know the rebirth of light, meaning you know things stay away. It's the longest night of the year. Big fire means things stay away right. and don't come near you.
2: Other you no know, potential predatorial creatures who want to make a meal out of you, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and
1: Yule logs,
2: obviously in their in their truest dramatic
1: pagan right, are all associated with bonfires originally. I mean they had to have been. When it kind yeah. of converted over and became just the specific Yule log, no one's entirely sure. Uh, but the traditions that exist today that have to do with the Yule log have been around for probably about five or 600 years and really haven't changed all that much. And the idea of the family kind of coming together, going out into the forest, cutting down a tree and cutting off a rather sizable portion of the log, uh, and then bring it back to the home to, to light it on fire, all very symbolic of everything that we've talked about tonight. But what I find interesting is after the, the fire has burned out, A portion of that log is kept, and in many homes, particularly in Central Europe, it is kept underneath the bed of the owner of the house. It's thought to bring good fortune and good tidings to the home, Mm -hmm. and is used in the same ritual and ceremony on the following year. When they light up the next Yule log, it's tradition to use that old piece to start the fire. And if that old piece will not start... And it it's thought to bring bad luck to the uh, to the household. I don't know about you guys, but Yule Logs are delicious. Oh, my God. It's El, the intrusive hipster ghost. His second appearance, it's almost as if he's kind of haunting Christmas. It's
2: a little strange. No, I just made my little abode in the nerd cave, that's all. Oh, all right. Yes. Uh, as it turns out, um, the yu Log, or the Bouche de Noël, if you're from France, uh, it's a traditional dessert served near Christmas, and uh, it's quite delightful. It starts with a sponge cake that is uh, made into a sheet and then rolled with chocolate um, mousse. And then it is covered with a chocolate ganache on top and made to look like a log. It's quite good. All right. Well, thank you, Alan. Yeah, thanks, Alan. That's really cool for you to show up and share. My pleasure, gentlemen. You know, uh, I got to say,
0: f- see if he'd make an appearance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, you know,
1: he- he's becoming less intrusive and more just insightful. <laughs> i think when he's on this show he's kind of alan the insightful hipster ghost as opposed to the intrusive one
2: yeah well he definitely doesn't talk about things that are mainstream because i know that the Eulog is not a common staple in the united states but it's very big in europe um, oh it's huge absolutely yeah. and delicious by the way we had one for
1: for christmas one year my godfather brought it over he's he's as close as you can get to a hipster without actually being a hipster I don't know if that makes any sense, but he he does do things uh, outside the norm. And he he brought, you know, he always brings something kind of silly or funny. And and he he brought us a Yule Log.
2: And as far as the Christmas and Yule traditions go, it's actually a very late arrival. As far as we can tell, it only goes back really to like the 19th century.
1: Sure, but it does, well, the dessert treat certainly does. The dessert, yes. Yes. Of course, not (laughs) the
2: actual tradition. (laughs) Yes. So there you have it. Um, well,
1: while we're on the subject of food, really quick, just this is just more just kind of a little bit of a side note. But um, I, I found it interesting in my research that the the Christmas ham. Oh,
0: it, yeah. It actually does have a tradition within Yule. Oh, are you familiar with this, Brett? Well, I, I've seen that and I kind of looked at it. I'm like, oh, I kind of. Crazy because every Christmas since I can remember, we've always had a ham for like the Christmas dinner with the family. There's always been a ham there. I just thought, oh, okay, we just want ham, but but yeah, it's back in your mind. It's like no, (laughs) so
1: yeah, it um, it's it's in tribute to the dramatic god of Freyr, who was a uh, a harvest god, a fertility god, and associated with boars. And so the the hunting and, again, the sacrifice of the boar in honor of this god would be concluded with a feast, because they weren't just going around killing animals. Let's be really clear with this. All of these different um, sacrifices that were performed, all the food was intended for the pot, you know, it was all going to be eaten, it was all then treated as a celebration and brought together, um, it's kind of like the reverse of the pardoning of the turkey. If you if you want to put it into modern terms today, right? <laughs> like
2: you've lived long enough. We right. know you're not getting a pardon. No, you're on the express lane. <laughs> 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 to to quote Ron White for a moment. <laughs> Interesting, because you know, for me, I've never been crazy about ham at Christmas. I really haven't. You no, know, I always want to try. I always want to have goose because goose is big in in England for Christmas. The geese. Christmas goose. Christmas That's goose. Right. Yeah, I never had. I've had prime rib, and I've had, I've had turkey. But everyone's had turkey at some point or another. But mostly, it's been prime rib, on or some sort of other like beef really? dish. Really? Wow. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. See, we, we've mm-hmm. always done ham in our house.
1: Yeah. We've always done ham and chicken. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: I've it's had just, Canadian goose. I, don't, I know there's different types of goose. It sounds stupid when I say it like that, but you know what I mean, right? It's, it's different species, I'm sure. Yeah. Or subspecies. Yeah. Yeah. I used to be a big like duck hunter. How is goose? It's 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 a fatty meat, like it's fattier, like yeah. duck, right? We 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 stopped like cooking, and we ended up making a bunch of. We just make duck and goose jerky, which was amazing. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, flavor profile wise,
2: I know duck is a little bit more on the gamier side uh, compared to like a poultry, like chicken. It's a little bit drier too, but the fat from the breasts make it um, make it more tender to eat. So, what's that? What's goose like in that regard? Is it similar to that or? Um,
0: yeah, it's similar to that. It's a little fattier in regards to the size wise, but I mean, it's still good for the most part. Um, but when you make it into jerky, my grandpa he you got dehumidifier, dehumidifier and he made like his ho- like homemade sauces and stuff to like marinate it in and uh so he made a bunch of homemade duck and goose jerky and was amazing.
1: <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if any of the yeah. uh any of the ancient Germanic pagans did any kind of jerking of meat around this time of year. I mean, you, you have to dry it though. So I, I'm sure they could have dried it by the fire, but I wonder if, uh, I wonder yeah. if there was any Yule jerky. I don't know. Listeners, if anyone knows if they jerkied anything for Yule or if that's a, a new, uh, pagan tradition, let us know. I'd be very interested in finding out.
2: You no, know, Yule is not uncommon in many parts of Scandinavia, right? There's another part of the, that overall season that I want to talk about because coming up this week, is the Feast Day of St. Lucy? Okay. Who is very popularly celebrated in Northern Europe. In fact, her feast day is more common there than it is here. I went to St. Lucie's parish uh, in California, so I grew up learning about the myth of St. Lucie. And I think it's important because we're, we were talking about light, right? Well, the word Lucy, it's Lucia, it means light. Means yeah, light, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there is kind of a, a literal connection between the two. And then more of a coincidental dental one as well. Um, She's recognized as a saint in the Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, and Orthodox churches. So she's one of those saints that's kind of universal, regardless of the persuasion. Um, As her life story kind of goes, she was a Roman who became Christian, and she was engaged to a Roman man. And basically, when he found out that she was Christian, he betrayed her to the Romans and tried to have her killed. And as it turns out, it's because when they tried burning her at the stake, she wouldn't burn. And so they end up having to impale her on a sword, unfortunately. That's how she was martyred. They take the miracle of the fact that... Now, as we know in the Catholic faith, we know if you're martyred, you automatically get beatified, so you you get minus one miracle. Right, Uh, exactly. We talked about that in the uh, the St. Columbo episode. No, I'm sorry. We'll we'll do this in RPG terms. You are plus one miracle if you you get uh, get martyred. Um, And the fact that she wouldn't burn because she was surrounded by flames is plus two miracle. Therefore... Equal sainthood. So yeah, I'm a level seventy four saint, Alan. You are not a saint. Okay, fine.
0: Wow. We're paladin. They're less mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. it, it,
2: it's it's very true. Absolutely. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> Dude, that was awesome. Thank you. Um, now, what what's also interesting is that she's really heavily tied into Advent, which we talked about last year. Right. And she is is she's a patron saint of calendars, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's not the patron saint oh, okay. of calendars. Sorry. Dude, um, her feast day is officially um, December 13th, though it's also the 16th in the pre-1970 general Roman calendar. She is the patron saint of blind, the blind, martyrs, Perugia, Italy, um, Matarfa, Malta, uh, epidemics, salesmen, Syracuse, Italy, throat infections, and writers. But no calendar. But no calendar. not a calendar in sight. Unless you're writing a calendar. So, (laughs) uh, what's interesting about her, though, is, again, going back to the whole thing about light. We light the candles in Advent to remind us that the light of Christ is coming. And she wears the Advent wreath on her head. In fact, it's not uncommon in these Nordic households that um, the young it's either the oldest girl or the youngest girl in the house, plays the role of Lucia. And she puts on the wreath, and she serves breakfast to everybody. And I think it has to do with her giving to the poor, because she came from a wealthy pagan family, so she was charitable, basically. Does the kid have to make breakfast, too? I think she does. Yeah. That's a horrible
1: tradition. Well, it's
2: not a very elaborate breakfast. (laughs) How
1: do you know? Is there a cutoff? Like, is toast too little? Or do you have to do something like a full English breakfast?
2: Dear God, if you had to make a full English breakfast, (laughs) I would just say, throw me in the fire, Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, fire didn't work? <laughs> All right, pale me on a sword then. Uh, um, imagine a little kid saying that. No, that's just a mess. Uh, anyway. That would be terrible. We'll leave it up to Sean if he wants to leave it at. Um, <laughs> I certainly hope it was not an English breakfast, because English breakfasts are... Well, they were feasts. Well, yeah, they were a buffet, basically. That's
1: my point, though. I mean, is there something in between? Then you kind of have to go. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Let's I'm just ask, curious.
2: Let's ask our listeners from Northern Europe. Let's talk about. Let's ask them how big is the Lucia holiday? And if I messed any of that legend up, by the way, let's well, let's not take our work for that one. And then just we'll just do that. Does that sound good? That sounds good to me. Good. We'll appeal to the listeners. That's always that, that, that appeal always works
1: well. to the listeners indeed. Well, it's very clear to me by by hearing that story that all throughout northern Europe and in Scandinavia and, and all those parts of, of, of Europe in there that the tradition and custom of bringing people together and feasting and being one and being a family and being a, a greater community is all extremely, extremely important to, to the fact that Christmas is known as Yule in those parts of the world. Even though it is it is very different from the Yule tradition that existed you know, over a thousand years ago, a lot of those key elements as we've talked about today still persist and are still there. And the core of it all, the most important aspect of it all, bringing friends, family, community together to survive through those cold winters and to come out into something fun and energetic like spring is still
2: at the core of all of this. Really the theme of Christmas, right, is all about family. It's all about camaraderie, whether it's the the Christian persuasion or of its pagan roots. I agree. And uh, what a great way to end on it. And Absolutely. As usual, folks, don't take our word for it. Right? Go out and uh, do some research for yourself. We've we found some great stuff out there. There's a great article from the New York Times. It's an archive. It's about mm, 16 years old. Um, called "It's Solstice, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa: Let There Be Light," and it talks about these connections with light and uh, how all the holidays that are associated with it—not not just uh, Christmas and Yule, but also Kwanzaa and Hanukkah all have this kind of ties and then tons of others as well. So please give that, give it uh, a look. And in addition, uh, we've also been referencing a website called whychristmas.com run by a gentleman named James Crooper who was very kind enough to give us permission to reference his material. I also want to make a
1: quick correction on myself from earlier in the episode when I was talking about winter solstice. I incorrectly said it was on the, either the 22nd or 23rd. I apologize. I was thinking of either the vernal or abdominal equinoxes. Uh, the winter solstice is held either on the 20th or the 21st. Um, or excuse me, the 21st or the 22nd. So uh, I, I apologize for that and quick correction for our listeners who are i'm sure we were screaming at me when i said that so i apologize yeah john we heard you <laughs> <laughs> uh and again brett thank you so much for coming on the show today i hope you had a lot of fun kind of getting a chance to sit in and join us here on on the episode
0: oh i had an absolute blast it, it makes me appreciate you guys that much more you know let me be on and just bs with you guys and then kind of seeing like the behind the scenes stuff with everything and yeah it's been fun i'm Really Which you are
1: you are on. sworn to secrecy. You may not oh. tell a soul what happened in between these edits today.
0: I went to do the Scout's Honor, but instead I did the Live Long and Prosper. Well, that's pretty uh, much the same thing in this place, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right? So no, totally, no. Well, totally sworn to secrecy. Well, Brett, we you know you are
2: welcome back on the show anytime. Thank you. We we are truly honored that you have connected with our podcast and really found it, given it meaning and. We're just very grateful to have you as part of our extended family, so
1: yeah, well, this is what this time of year is all about, right? Yeah is our family and, and Brett and yeah. all of our listeners. you are all part of our extended Nerdonomy family. So thank you all so much for listening.
2: This is your first time listening to our podcast. Uh, hi, how you doing? Howdy? Uh, you can follow us through our plethora of social media uh, connections, uh, which can be found on neuronomy.com. And you can also follow us on our private Twitter accounts. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I am at The
0: Brickmont.
2: And Brett, do you have anything you want to share with the, the world for uh, Twitter or Facebooks?
0: Uh, well, you- I'm in the process of doing my own podcast. Oh, plug um, it, please. Plug yeah, the way right, by my own means. <laughs> Shameless plug. We recorded our first like, pilot-ish episode on Saturday. I'm editing it right now. But uh, it's called When Nerds Get Old. Uh, i <laughs> nerd culture and all that kind of stuff and how it's evolved and how it's evolving and um all that kind of stuff and uh it was really fun our first one so just keep your uh, eyes and ears open for the first official episode and i'll be posting stuff about it and i'll let you guys know uh definitely when that comes up so
1: absolutely we Please. will shout it out to the world as soon as people can go and subscribe to it awesome. yes
0: sir that yeah. is fantastic
2: and uh, as always folks since it's the season of giving uh, why don't you go ahead and mention it? Um, Give we, us money! We still <laughs> we still need a, a roof. It's We have a ceiling. It is 62 degrees. It's actually, that's not terrible. It that's was not terrible.
0: Oh, you know how cold it is in Minnesota right now? It is... 12? 35 degrees. Oh,
1: okay. Oh, uh, hey, it's going to be 30 <laughs> degrees
0: tomorrow. Yeah. In the evening. Yeah. yeah. We had so, snow today. We had snow today. Yeah, so.
2: We get winter for... Uh, temperatures we just don't <laughs> have snow because we're too low of an elevation to get let it stick so it just turns into very very cold rain we had snow once we did have that snow sucks. once
1: and we got uh like three quarters of an inch of snow or maybe less and it was more just like mush oh. it was still, pretty slushy right yeah, it was very slushy you could have like taken um the syrup they use in snow cones and yeah, just exactly. kind of gone and just, around in and and, snow cones. thank
2: you i was thinking the same thing yeah you could have just <laughs> right scooped it Peragua, right Peragua, Which is exactly
1: how central Californians would deal with snow. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much, is it? Let's make a, let's, let's make a snow
2: cone. Seriously. Uh, it's well, awesome. Where's Alan? <laughs> I don't eat snow cones. They're too mainstream. Oh, sorry, Alan. I forgot. I prefer otter pops. Thank oh, you, Ellen Ellen. Thank you very, very much. Anyway, if you have find it in your heart and in your wallet that you could throw us some money, we are still paying off a computer and trying to find money to make a ceiling for us. Yeah, so we now unanimously decided that we need a heater as well, so yes, because yeah, so um, <laughs> if you are so inclined, you can go to com and click the donate button. indeed you can, and it will be a PayPal donation so.
1: Well folks, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. We have a very
2: special guest who will be joining us. It is not to be mentioned. Not to be mentioned, but we will mention the topic at least. Yes, we will. Yes, because what else rings in like Christmas like the Nutcracker? Now, we're not just talking nice. about we're not just talking about the ballet. We're talking about the story of the Nutcracker Prince, which is fascinating as is the story behind Tchaikovsky writing the ballet so we're also going to talk a little bit about Czarist Russia
1: and pre-revolutionary Russia as well and how that political climate tied into yeah. everything
2: and it's going to be a lot of fun I can't wait I can't wait for it either and you know what? until uh, we meet again nerds stay nerdy and tune into us next week same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com bye bye later
1: All right, Brian. I was able to get my hands Eric, I just on don't the want, missile. I don't, I don't have time in the engine anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just
2: okay. just look out the
1: door. Go into the backyard and look out the door. That's right. That is your mistletoe. Uh, run. Run.